five, four, three, two, one, zero, and liftoff. You're listening to Working Forward. Presented by Symmetra. In partnership with NASA Reimagine. In this limited podcast series, hosted by Harry Monty, Laura Dynan-Haber, Paul Tyler, and Todd Zen, we explore the future of work from a variety of viewpoints and discuss the challenges and opportunities ahead. Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Working Forward podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Todd Zen, a VP at Symmetra. We're really excited to continue our exploration of all things related to the future of work today. Hopefully you caught our first episode with Gary Golden, a futurist. We had a great discussion with him about some of the macro themes about the future of work, some of the things we can all expect. And what we're really excited to do here today in episode two is pivot the conversation very specifically to employers. Obviously, the employers are at the forefront of the future of work, probably the most important stakeholders of the topic. So we're really looking forward to having a really good dialogue with some actual employers, which is exciting. And we have two great guests to help us have that conversation. But before we get into that and and introduce our guests, I want to bring in my co-hosts. So first, let me bring in Harry Monty. He is head of our group benefits division here at Symmetra. Harry, welcome to the show. Hey, Todd. Thanks for the introduction. I appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to building on episode one. I thought that was a great conversation. Um, We talked a lot about some really um, interesting macro trends that are happening that are gonna drive change in the workforce and what their expectations are. Uh, But I think more importantly, we talked about how employers need to operate with foresight and really anticipate the changes that are coming in and lead the organizations through that change. So I think we have a couple of really great guests today to talk about exactly that. Awesome. Thanks, Harry. I know I'm excited. Talking to employers is the lifeblood of the group benefits business. So, of course, we are we're passionate and looking forward to the dialogue. But before we get to our guests, let me bring in our friends at NASA Reimagined, our partners. Um, they are both great experts in the insure techs that are going to help drive a lot of the future themes we're, we're talking about. Um, and great podcasting veterans as well. So first, let me say hi to Laura Dynan Haber. How are you, Laura? I'm doing well, Todd. Thanks so much. And looking forward to the conversation today to hear everybody's perspectives on the future and what it could look like. Yeah, absolutely. And Paul Tyler, welcome as well. No, thanks. Thanks, Todd. And uh, like I think all of you, I'm really interested to hear perspectives from human resource leaders uh, because I think, uh, wow, has that role been the role of the Last two years. I mean, if, if Time Magazine could put one job on the cover, <laughs> it would be the HR departments. That is so with true. With that, let's uh, <laughs> go back to you, Todd. Well, that's a great segue. Let's let's dive into our to our guests. So let me welcome in our first guest, uh, Kelly Shemansky. She joins us from Tyler Technologies. Kelly, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. 
Yeah. So if you could uh, just introduce yourself quickly to to our audience, we'd love to know more about your role at, at Tyler and maybe a little bit about what you guys do at Tyler Technologies. Sure. So I lead the human resources uh, team for Tyler. We are a software company focused exclusively on the public sector, the largest uh, company in the world that does that, uh, focused on local, county, state, federal government, um, as well as courts and schools and public safety. So the fire, police, and emergency first responders. And we empower the public sector uh, to create smarter and safer and stronger communities. And we have 7,000 team members that work in over 80 offices in the U.S., Canada, and Manila, Philippines doing that. Wow, that's wonderful. Um, great. Well, thank you. We're looking forward to getting to know you better and, and asking you some questions. Um, let me now welcome in our second guest, uh, Ellen Mezzo, who is joining us from DocuSign. Ellen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I'm, I'm Ellen Mezzo. I'm the Senior Director of Global Benefits, Wellbeing, Mobility for DocuSign. Um, hopefully everyone knows who that is. Um, but a little bit more about us. So we've got just about 8,000 employees globally. We're in almost 20 countries. Um, and obviously, besides e-signature, we're really um, focused on all things contracts and, and the agreement platform company, as it were. I'm really excited to, to have this conversation. I also have a strong passion focusing on people technology and spend whatever free time I might have as a mom of four um, to, to help better what's available for folks just like me in the HR and people space. That's great. Well, thank you very much. Thank you to you both for joining us. Um, so if I may, I'm going to jump right in with a question and, and get the conversation going. So I think you can't really talk too much about the future of work without to some degree referencing the present of work. And, you know, here we are, we, we've faced a lot of changes related to the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, I think my first question you guys is about remote and hybrid work. Uh, I'm interested in understanding, is this something that uh, you guys have done as a result of the, of the pandemic? Have you grown it? Is it part of your long-term plans? Just really kind of better understanding, you know, what your, philo your company's philosophies are around remote work. Um, maybe, Ellen, you could go first. Yeah, absolutely. So we were definitely an in-office company. We loved the culture of being together. We used to fly everyone out um, that was hired around the world to our Seattle office. Even though our headquarters are in San Francisco, we started in Seattle. And so there was just rich culture in the community and in that office. Um, so as the pandemic hit, the first thing we did was get everyone home and make sure they were safe. And what we realized is, we can still build on and, and grow that culture from home. But we had things that we had to do to ensure that that was going to happen. And I think in the last two plus years, we've been pretty successful. We've onboarded more people um, remotely than we have in person now at this point. And um, I, I really believe that that culture is just ingrained in who we are as people and not so much the space. So we're still, um, I, I would call us hybrid, though we have very few people coming into an office. We have a few offices open in the US and around the world. But I think that hybrid's here to stay. We're going to keep a space for folks to go who really need that, who, who want to maybe get away from whatever home looks like. I think being in San Francisco, you know, a lot of folks in a small studio space really just want some of that open open air and, and the snacks, as it were, and, and just the physical community of people. And a lot of us, especially caregivers, I'm finding, are wanting to stay home. And so we're going to find a way to continue to do that. Um, uh, for everyone and, and make a space for everyone. 
That's fantastic. Uh, Kelly, how about you? What What's the work at home uh, philosophy at Tyler Technologies? Yeah, so before COVID, I should say, we were about 40% remote. And those were primarily implementation, software implementation consultants who traveled to our clients. And most of our uh, client implementations were on site. Uh, as well as some software developers and others who are are uh, based out in the field. And as of right now, we are about uh, just a little under 60% remote. And the rest of our team members are back in the office. Uh, the most common number of days is three days a week. We do have over 80 offices, and we do find that... Um, our team members do want to be together, some of them, a lot of them at certain times of the week. Um, as you can imagine, Mondays and Fridays are a little quiet. Uh, but uh, I agree with what Alan said. You know, there are some people who are looking for that. One thing that was interesting during the last probably year of recruiting was that we had candidates asking if we were maintaining our offices and if they could have an office space to go into, as well as people who wanted to know if they could work fully remote. So we're just trying to balance that as we continue forward. Our we call our approach better together with flexibility. That's our mantra. That's what we've used since the beginning. Um, and that together can be physically together. It can be virtually together, but it's important for us to stay connected and be together. You know, I, I, I have a question just about the, the future, what, what the future will be of, of, of the hybrid workplace. I, you know, I can't avoid reading the news and reading the, the, the debates, uh, you know, and, and sometimes they, they, they're, rather uh, acerbic, uh, feels to me like there are three factors that drive a, um, a, a company's decision. One is, Kelly, you know, employee preferences. Second seems to be management philosophy. Third is just sheer economics. You know, what, when's your lease up? How much does it cost to <laughs> renew your lease? And can you use and, and redeploy the savings elsewhere? For, and Ellen, I'll ask you, um, are those the right three questions uh, or right three factors? And how are they going to play out, do you think, across the country over the next couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I think if we're focusing on the U.S. for that question, absolutely. Those are the right three questions. And I think culture plays in to each of those. Um but, you know, I think the big thing for for us and maybe some other high tech companies here in the Silicon Valley is really focusing on where are people doing their best work and where are they performing? And when we think about recruitment and retention, um, it may not be that um, the best candidates are located where we are. And we used to I run mobility for DocuSign. We used to move people all over the place to get them closer to our headquarters or our larger offices you don't have to do that anymore, right? If someone's really happy where they're living, now, of course, if they want to come to San Francisco, come on over. But um, we have to think about compensation philosophy, right? So if they don't want to move and we don't want to pay them to move, are we still going to pay them the San Francisco salary, right? And so there's decisions to be made there. But if we want to recruit the best and retain those that have been doing an amazing job that are performing really well, and they don't want to be where our headquarters are, we have to be flexible. And so going back to what Kelly said, with flexibility, I think that's key. I mean, we're also looking at our schedules, right? Like, does everyone want to work, you know, nine to five, Monday through Friday, right? So it's not just about physically where people are. It's about listening to your customer, who for me is my employee, 
And then really figuring out how do we make the best of both worlds. And then there's the logistics of the lease, right? Um, what we started to do is figuring out, could we keep our space, but just make it smaller? So sublease, you know, some of it, you know, end leases on certain floors and keep others. I think finding that mix and then understanding, you know, the executive philosophy or our former CEO, Dan Springer, really wanted us all to come back in. And man, did he really try hard. But eventually, after a year, he listened and said, okay, you guys don't want to come back in. I'm the only one standing here waving my arms, offering free cookies. Um, but, you know, some people did, and it was great. And I think that, one, it's understanding your executive philosophy, but then also them being amenable to sort of really listening to their employees and saying, what's the hybrid here? And I, I think it's why when I find folks in the industry and I ask them what they're doing these days, it's just a beautiful mix because people are listening to their employees and they're doing what's best for them and finding a way to do that that's still economical and, and, and gets them the best you know, product, right? Gets them the folks working the performance up and people happy and, and hopefully staying. So I'd love to build on that in a couple of ways. Uh, first is, you know, Ellen, you mentioned recruiting. And that's obviously incredibly important, right? The the war for talent, as we as we like to say, is um, is alive and and well. And um, so that's definitely an aspect of it. But another impact of remote work uh, for me personally has been around uh, communication and visibility of leadership and how you drive culture. And um, I know for me personally, I found it actually easier to be um, visible in the organization using the technology because I. If I went and, and visited a site, I'm in front of maybe 30, 40% of the employees that support my business, but um, I can very easily get in front of all of them using technology. And so for me, it's been really nice from a communication standpoint, but I'm curious um, around the communication culture aspect of having people so remote and spread across uh, across the country, um, your views on that and how it's going in your organizations. And maybe Kelly, I'll ask you to start. Well, I, as I was listening to you, I was thinking, you know, we're a little different in that we have so many offices. And one of the things that we learned about ourselves over the last couple of years is we, we had an assumption that managers were hiring in the office that they were located in. <laughs> and what we've learned is that we had a lot of managers, even before COVID, who were managing teams in other team members in other offices. And we did not have a consistent platform. We used several different platforms to communicate. COVID forced us all to make a decision go to one. And same thing, Harry, we, we found that people were more connected in some cases to their team members and they were checking in and more equitably, more consistently. Um, we heard from a lot of folks who were fully remote before COVID who said, I love this. We're all on, the, on a level playing field now. And that's been something that we've had to be really conscious of as we transition back to a more of a hybrid uh, environment. So I think that we've learned a lot and we absolutely have seen improvements in communication. And I'll, I'll give you another example. It's not communication, but right before COVID, we had developed a new uh, manager development program. And we were very limited to the number of sessions we could run. Like Ellen, we were going to fly everyone in. And we felt very strongly, we had a very strong bias that that was the right way to do this program. We made the case for it and it reduced the number of programs we could run, frankly. And we finalized that in March 2020. COVID hit. We pivoted immediately 
and put that first group through a virtual session and we've continued to improve it. We now run three times the number of sessions that we would have been able to run. And people tell us that they've developed deeper relationships across the organization with people that they wouldn't work with because of the way we run that program now. So lots of learnings and benefits as well from those learnings. So continuing on the culture end of things, I would be curious, you know, we went from water cooler hangouts, meeting, making coffee, running into each other in the cafeteria to Zoom screens or Teams screens, whichever platforms you're using, to then trying to bring employees back using the warm cookies and the branded swag and, you know, the promises of the the days before. But, you know, communication, at least from where I sit, is definitely increased. Um, we are, you know, communicating internally, externally at a greater rate. It's looking and feeling different. What are your thoughts on the future as we go forward and say like the next six to 12 months, what does that look like as individuals are deciding and companies are deciding, yes, it's okay to stay either 100% remote, 20%, 50%, et cetera, as we have individuals choose what's best for them. What is that culture in your eyes going to look like as people are deciding for themselves and that level of empowerment and maybe that, that level of split that's going to go back on? So Ellen, if, if you want to start first. Yeah. You know what I find interesting about that question is that, um, one, I don't think every company is allowing employees to choose. So there are still companies that really have a hard and fast rule about the way it should be and um, how it should look for them and their culture. And that says a lot, I think, about that organization's culture. I think for those of us that that do want to take that input and understand um <laughs> understand what's happening and and really want to listen to the employee then we um we really can't <laughs> i've got a kid running up here i'm on a i'm on a recording no you need to leave. Um, thanks bye bye no no thanks bye bye go talk to your dad <laughs> wow. Um, always. It's, I have four. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. He's the sweetest, but he wants a donut at 122. <laughs> so, no. It's either too late or too early. I haven't decided. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, but but I think so. So listening. So listening to the employee is going to be big. I also think that, you know, we create a lot of the programs and the way we communicate and, and our you know, um, cadence in which we communicate based on a hope that it's going to end at some point. Mm, I think we've all come to terms with the fact that this is the future. So actually we're living in the future right now, right? So if it is this, if this is the future, then we have to create the permanent sort of way in which we do this and still sort of leave room for iterations as we discover things about what we've decided. Um, and so I think that's the big thing is we're going to start seeing a shift in what companies believe is the permanent long-term solution. So it's not a hybrid for now, you know, hybrid with an asterisk. It's, yeah, this is what we're going to do. And so I think we're making decisions, drawing lines in the sand, and we're saying we're either listening to our employees and we're going to do what they want to do and we're going to make spaces available but also be open to having people at home. And it won't matter what job they have, what level they are what city or country that they're in, how much money they're making, we'll really do it based on individual choice. And then second to that, I think that what we'll do is um, have the executive team make make a clear decision on what they think is going to be best and how they're going to invest 
in the future, right? So this isn't just about space. This is about how we deliver our products, how we deliver the benefits to our employees and to their family members. Um, you know, when we're coming up with our PTO or time off, uh, you know, programs and policies, we will be thinking about it holistically now. And that involves where people are, how much time they spend on their jobs. And I think that's a huge, um, important change and really has made my job a little more exciting. I finally have a seat at that big round table with the executives. You know, as a benefits leader, I kind of, you know, would wave my hands in the air once a year at open enrollment. But now it's every week. I have something to say that's really going to influence the business and how we do the work that we do and how we attract and retain and and all the dreams that I had for my role probably in the last 25 years. So um, this is not going to surprise my co-host where I'm going to go next as we're talking about communication and technology started to come up, and that's the metaverse. So um, in our episode one, we talked a little bit about the metaverse and uh, some of the potential implications of that. And I'm curious if either of your companies are starting to explore the use of, of virtual reality in the metaverse um, and your views on what that does to the, uh, how that impacts the social aspects of work, right? How people build relationships um, and just your, your cultures. So curious for your thoughts on that. Well, I'll jump in and just say, I checked around and everyone is aware and everyone is, I've, I've talked with a lot of folks who are using it uh, or experiencing it personally, but I have not yet found how we're uh, using it with our clients or developing our products or that sort of thing yet. But I think it's coming. Uh, given the number of people who are, who are, you know, staying up to date and, and, and trying these, these different emerging technologies, even if they're not ready yet for our client base, uh, I think it's just a matter of time. And I might pick you, back Ellen? off that. Yeah, I was gonna say, I'm gonna pick it back off that. You know, it's funny, I, I don't know that I'm hesitant. Maybe that's not the right the right word, but that's a big change for me. Um, and I don't know if I personally align with thinking the world is going to live virtually. But I'm a technology company, right? You know, I, I work for fast paced, high growth tech company, and so I need to understand it and kind of figure out how we play a part in that. And I think for a lot of companies. Um, they're going to try to find that balance of like, how do we maybe dip our toe in the water and get involved, but that we still have sort of this very solid, I'm on the ground and you can reach me. And live is maybe even the wrong word because the metaverse isn't not live, right? It's live, <laughs> but different, right? So, so, and I don't want to say old school or new school, man, this, or I'm going to need a whole new vocabulary. Let's create a dictionary specifically for what the future is, because there's terminology that is yet to be created on how we're going to talk about this, right? And I, and I want to be there. I want to be a part of it, but there's a part of me tugging into this old world of like, I don't know, human connection has been able to be reproduced in, in these other formats, the way that we're talking right now, I feel like I'm I'm connected to to those of you and to those that are listening to this. Right, I'm thinking about them as I'm saying each word. Can we keep recreating that in these more distant future kind of worlds where we see less of the real and we're avatars? You know, right? I I don't know. Like I have a hard time sort of swallowing that today. But you know yeah, what? I, I, in five years, let's let's regroup in five years yeah. and see how I see how I feel. Yeah, we we've experimented. There's there's one person on our team. We've we've actually done this across cities, and uh, I I think 
everybody needs to try this. <laughs> I think the hard, uh, number one, the hardware needs to evolve because it is, put these headsets on and, and handsets, it's, it's a, it takes coaching. <laughs> you need somebody to be there physically with you to start to learn how to do this. Um, you also need a lot of space. Um, you don't think about this till you try this, but you realize, you know, I got to clear up my front. You know, if I'm really going to interact act with somebody, I got to be able to physically walk around a pretty large space, which is not generally, you know, um, how people have configured their homes. Now that said, once you get in there, it's, it, it's kind of shocking how much communication there is when you can actually hear the person, you see them, you move your hands, the body language suddenly, you know, you know, it's the elbows, the arms, the hands, and you can actually share screens. Now, it's hard to do that for more than 20 minutes. So Harry, I think, you know, it's coming. <laughs> but uh, um, I, I, I think we've got a Apple or Microsoft or, or um, Meta has got to come out with this next generation of equipment for us to all see is is the next step the the one that's going to make it a little more accessible? Uh, you know, for, from more an, of the population. From an employee standpoint, one of the applications that I could see, you know, we have employees who feel that they can't be their authentic selves at work. And one of the things that I really discovered during COVID is when we started to have people coming back, we had a lot of transgender or transitioning employees who for the first time ever felt like they could just be themselves at home and just not turn the screen on. And I, I talked with one of them and and just to hear the joy and the peace in kind of them being able to be who they were. I'm sure there are much more applications of this than that, but that's one of the things that comes to mind for me. If people felt that they could create their avatar and go out and, and then just be that uh, and interact with everyone else. I mean, eventually we all need to come to terms with who we are and be comfortable in the environment we work in. But I could see that as being helpful to some of the folks that I've spoken with as well. So I'll jump in with a question here, kind of changing gears, but only slightly. Um, and I think Kelly and, and Ellen, you may both already have global workforces, but I'm wondering, you know, with the with the nature of people working different hours and different different shifts, and and maybe not being so tied to their desk at certain times, uh, do, does that enable more global work, or or maybe as companies that already have a global workforce, do you find that that improves collaboration, the nature of work, um, the the way things are going right now? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think it's easier. We don't have commutes, let's say, right? So if we just take the time and if in the Bay Area you've ever lived here or know or read a paper about it, uh, hours. I, I used to commute to Palo Alto from Oakland. It was an hour and a half each way from San Jose to San Francisco, hour and a half to sometimes two and a half hours each way. And yes, the companies were great. They'd have shuttles and do all sorts of stuff to make it easier for me so that I could work during my commute. Um, but that's time, right? You know, I, I didn't necessarily have, you know, Wi-Fi or the Wi-Fi wasn't great enough to have, like, let's say a Zoom call. But um, at home, I'm, I can wake up and I can have a call with my friends in Ireland, right? And say, okay, let's get some work done. And then I can go back and take the kids and take them to school. And then, so there are moments that I would have absolutely never had if I was expected to get into an office and commute to the office um, with my global team um, that, that I just, I appreciate and, and are making it, it's absolutely making it easier for me to do the work that I need to do. I manage a team outside of the U.S. Um, so for me, 
ex, you know, extra important to be connecting with them on a really regular basis. So it's not just, oh, you know, once a quarter, you have to wake up early. It was, you know, at least weekly. So, so this has created a better space, I think, for me to work globally. And I've always managed global benefits. So it was always the pressure of, well, which day am I going to do my early call or which day am I going to do my late call? I, f- I feel like I have more room to do that now that I'm not commuting. Um, the, the reality is, though, it, it's only a little bit. People still live in different time zones and whether we're virtual or we're not. I think what's going to happen is that we're going to find better ways to asynchronously work, right? We're going to use technology to maybe have an asynchronous chat, but that feels a little more real than an email back and forth, right? Because the emails back and forth and, and tone and email doesn't isn't great. We've been dealing with a lot of that. Like, how do we get people to communicate in ways? So maybe it's voice recordings, maybe it's videos back and forth. I don't, I don't know, but I what I do know is that we're going to find better ways to work um, against these different time zones and with each other. That's not just an email that actually relays my real message with its tone and intent so that there's no reading between the lines. And it's going to feel a little more synchronous maybe than the current situation. Um, and and hopefully we'll find ways to get into airplanes less, right? Because if we think about even just sustainability, like the number of employees that we had at DocuSign that were traveling was astronomical. And now it's like nobody. Like today, even we only travel if it's work, you know, related, like related to a sale or something along those lines. Um, very little work travel. And we're doing great for, for DocuSign for Forest is a big initiative of ours. We're doing great when it comes to sustainability. I don't want to lose that because we want to go back to the old way of doing things, right? And so technology on top of making it easier for us to do the work that we need to be doing, um, to, to be connected and committed and, and embedded in the culture, but also maybe helping our communities in the world at large. So yeah, I, th- I definitely think that we're going to start working better, more efficiently, but but back to what Kelly said, in our authentic way, so people can hear and feel what they would have felt if I was sitting in a room with you. Yeah, one of the ways that we've been using tech recently, and uh, it goes back to earlier this week, actually, Paul and I are headed out to ITC, a conference next week, and we wanted to get a message across. And we you know, knew an email was not going to cut it, right? How many emails do we get inbound a day? Way too many. So we created this little this little gif and it's, you know, uh, us pointing at our microphones. We're going to be there podcasting. And it's just like this little back and forth rotational loop. And when I sent the email out, I cannot even tell you the amount of responses that I received from people saying, you guys are goofballs. I absolutely love this. This is the best marketing because we, we were showing character through a communication that essentially was silent, right? It's a, it's an email communication, no sound involved yet. They were receiving the message that we were setting across. So Ellen, I, I agree. I think that there's a lot of opportunity there and a lot of room for us to experiment. And there's experimentation going on across all social media platforms, short form video, et cetera. But it's, I'll be curious to see how we choose to integrate it into the day-to-day workforce and what we can do with that level of storytelling and messaging to not only show our authentic selves, but also connect with one another and then you know continue our business along the same the same pathway. So you you both mentioned um, people being able to be their authentic self at work, and it's incredibly important. And I want to tie it to another aspect of um, the social aspect of work, and that's around mental health. And you know, I have as the 
hopefully that while the pandemic isn't officially over, um, I've come to refer to mental health issues as, as the new pandemic, right? And um, it is just so important from my perspective for companies to be addressing that particular issue. So I'm, I'm curious for what your organizations are doing to support uh, mental health and whole health views that, that employees are finding so important today. You know, one thing that I'm proud of our team in doing. We have a lot of leaders who have been very open about their own challenges and the reaction from team members is is beyond anything I would have expected. And I just had another example of that today. Um, so just for, for managers and leaders to be able to share what they're going through has been huge. I'll say 30 years of HR, I've never seen claims. I've never seen mental health as such a high driver of, of healthcare claims, um, both you know prescription and, and medical. Um, and uh, we have got to do more. Uh, one of the, my challenges that I face right now is I just don't feel that the infrastructure for mental health, telehealth, at least in the U.S., um, is where it needs to be. When you have someone who's finally made that decision to go seek help and to really talk this out with someone, and then they find out that because of the state they're in, they can't talk to this person. It's just so frustrating. We've, we've got we've to fix that. We put all these benefits in place, and then people go to take advantage of them, and things fall apart. And it's, it's really frustrating for me. Um, so we've, we've got to get better at, at providing mental health support, no matter where you are. <laughs> no matter where you're calling from, um, to help people help themselves. Yeah, I mean, also believe that it coming from the top down makes a huge difference in terms of engagement, but what are they engaging in, right? Um, are they talking about it? Or are they actually getting care? So a big part of what I did when I first joined JockeySign over two years ago was to put in a program that was a personalized mental health solution. So we still have the offering that we have through our medical programs in all of the different countries that we're in, but I wanted something global, bespoke, you know, personalized, um, that addressed the needs of my employees wherever they were and also touch families, right? It was a big ask, but there are new sort of tech-focused personalized mental health, behavioral health companies out there, um, and it's not cheap. And so not, I know not everyone can do it. But for us, we felt like it was so important to invest in that and to invest in our employees. And what we saw prior to us having that program, our EAP, maybe 2 to 3% of our population was engaging. We have over 50% of our population engaging with this personalized mental health program, like unheard of, right? And it's one because of the executives, right? They talk about it. Our CEO talked about using the program himself. Um, I talked about my personal mental health journey um, and shared it with everyone who would listen. Um, you know, and we are addressing the needs of families. So the kids are getting the help that they need because they had a really rough couple of years through uh, virtual learning and, and coming back into school and, and being behind and all of that. So I think part of this... I think you have to address with a new benefit. And what we're finding is that benefit providers are focusing on their technology, not just the service they provide. Because yes, the service is the service and it's important. We need to get more pediatric behavioral health um, providers in the world. Um, all of that's important. But the technology that they're using to deliver that service, the platform, the subclinical digital healthcare and then the clinical piece as well, delivering that virtually is important. I almost now exclusively want to look at vendors and programs that are using technology, that are digital first, and that can address the scope, right? The journey of my employees' health needs, whether it's mental health, cardiac health, 
MSK, because what I know is that our employees aren't static anymore. They're not going to just sit in our headquarters and be there forever. They might want to come back to the office today and then want to be remote tomorrow. They might want to move out to Maine and, and be where their family lives, right? Because they need their village to raise raise their young kids. I don't want them to lose a benefit or a service that they are receiving because of where they moved. And absolutely, Kelly, like the borders of where people can practice, all of this matters. So I have to work with organizations that are thinking about that, that are solving for it and making my job easier because it can only get harder, I can imagine, with all of the new things that are coming down, whether it's a pandemic, political unrest, social unrest. I mean, I'm constantly having to come up with new solutions. I I need to rely on and lean on my vendors to be thinking about the same things that I am. And I agree with what Ellen, what you said about the technology. I find, especially the younger generation, they don't want to go in and meet in person with anyone. They want to be able to get on their phone and have that conversation and then go on with their day. And they're really good at, at, at taking care of themselves, actually at, at taking that initiative if they can find the right service provider. Uh, but that technology is critical. I mean, shoot, yeah. I'm in my mid-40s. I have four kids. I don't have time right. to go into a doctor's <laughs> office. Right. I really want to practice self-care. Right. But if it's not digital, I'm probably not doing it. You know, and and I remember I, I gave my mom a cell phone and she's in her 80s and she's like, what am I supposed to do with this? And it was so hard for her to learn the technology. But once she did, she's been so connected to her grandkids, to the world at large, to be honest. It's the same. It's the same thing for me. I think we're seeing older generations get used to getting and receiving, you know, digital information and, and care because we know it's how we're going to get enough of it that we can stay healthy and, and be here longer for the grandkids, right? So um, it's been a challenge, but I think that's the kind of change that people are willing to embrace. And that's why I'm willing to invest in it. Yeah. So I, I, I related technology uh, question uh, for, for both of you. And Alan, you, you, you used the word asynchronous. I think it's interesting, right? You know, I think we've, we've heard a lot of people say, should we, gee, well, should we be moving to four day work week? Well, maybe it's more like, what is that work week? Right. And where does it start? Where does it end? Um, I, I think Zoom, you know, teams have all changed, you know, where we can work. I think the next question is, well, how do we work? Uh, I was, I was, can't believe this. I was not watching uh, Hulu the other night. I saw an ad and I, and I have been watching. I see them all the time for uh, Asana. Okay. Um, you know, kind of like a, for those of you listening, it's, it's kind of like a, you, you, you can just define it for me. I, I would describe it as almost like a very, a task, a remote task-based management system for remote employees. It's they're advertising on Hulu. I mean, they're Kelly. They're advertising to those younger people. Okay, are they? They're not advertising to to the CEOs. Maybe they are, but it's directed here. What's the next wave that's going to hit us with this technology? How's this going to impact us? Um, well, I think you know when we remove the barrier of the office and people are working remotely how they define work-life balance based on their needs. It, you have people who don't have children and they want their morning people or their, you know, and they want to work the hours that work for them. And, and they find a way to deliver the outcomes in a non-traditional set of hours. The four-day work week feels very 
kind of artificial to me. Uh, that's just me. Uh, and we support public sector. I don't see the public sector going to a four-day work week, so I don't see us going to a four-day work week. Um, I could be wrong. Uh, but I do think part of that, you know, we talk about better together, the flexibility. Part of that flexibility is also sometimes when you work. And we spend time talking with managers about focus on the outcomes, not the hours. Focus on, is this person delivering the results that you're looking for? And that does provide that individual with flexibility. If they can figure out how to do it and make it work for them, you know, in their life. You still got to be there for your team. You can't miss those critical meetings. So you've got to figure it out, but there's a little more fluidity and flexibility there. You know, it's funny, our, our, our former CEO <clears throat> was very against a four-day work week. Um, and and for, for reasons that totally made sense to him. And um, and I could see, I could see why at least half of my, my company probably wouldn't really be into it. Actually, we surveyed our company about um, the non-accrual PTO, right? The unlimited PTO. Uh, and they don't want it. They want a bank. They want to know how much time they can take off and they want it to be theirs if they were to leave the company. Right. And, and I think the same idea around the four day work week, but there is a group of people that do want it. And, and again, I'm going to keep harping on caregivers because I find that it's people that have their second unpaid job, right, of, of a caregiver, whether it's for children or adults or, or someone in your community. Maybe they want to volunteer, right? Who knows? There's something else that's fulfilling them outside of work that they need more time to do so that they also can practice self-care. I don't know who am I to, to say that that's not right. But it's going to be interesting on, on how employers like us can support that if we aren't doing it as a, as a whole organization. So um, I know a lot of employers are experimenting with like no meeting Fridays or no camera Mondays or, you know, um, <laughs> summer Fridays, right? You know, all sorts of really fun things. And, and what does that change and do for your workforce? Is it helping or, or not? Um, I think the same thing about the four-day work week. Like I'm, I'm open to saying, you know what? If there's a group of folks on my team that want to experiment with that, let's figure out how we can do it, right? Um, I think that we need to decide though is are we giving them 80% of their work and 100% of their salary? <laughs> are we asking them to do all of their work in four days, which doesn't sound healthy? <laughs> like, right, right. you know, we have to make some decisions here. I, I think that I'm more open than most when I think about something like that. But like our, our, we take a mental health day once a quarter and the whole company goes off and it's great because I come back and I don't have a ton of emails. Um, if we do a four-day work week and I'm the only one doing it, <laughs> I'm going to come back and have a day's worth of work to catch up on. So I feel like consistency and how a company sort of believes this can work and invest in it. I know a couple of companies are experimenting right now. They're calling it pilots because they want the opportunity to go back and <laughs> put in the five the five days again. But um, I don't. I don't know. I I think that flexibility has to be open to more than just the hours you work, the hours that you choose. You can commit to being with your employer. I think the employer needs to get involved and start saying flexibility actually means you can pick schedules. You can pick the days of the week. You want to work Saturdays so that you have Mondays off. Maybe I don't care. And it goes back to that asynchronous working. If we create a system in which employees can produce work. Um, share ideas and have it be available and absorbed in whatever way that person who needs it can get it and it doesn't have to be live, then it really won't matter. And a four-day work week is total, be a total viable option. We're not totally there yet, so I'm not, I'm not ready for it, but I, I can see it happening. And I think that the world's going to start demanding it, especially because the demands on the caregivers, on um, you know, folks that um, have 
social commitments, like they do believe in, in volunteer work and they want to do more of that, they're going to need it because the demands of our children are increasing. The world is in some unrest and we want to, you know, do, we want to pick it. We want to go out there and build a house with Habitat for Humanity, right? If, if we want to do all of that, we're going to have to find a way to work um, differently, better. Yeah. Ellen, if, if I'm like a HR benefit specialist or I'm a broker trying to understand where this is headed, what are the best forums over the next year? Like physically, where should you plant yourself to see here the latest and greatest in the thinking on this topic? You know, it's actually, it's a great question. And someone was asking me the other day, like, oh, which conferences should I go to, right? Like a lot of them that were virtual or um, going back to in person. I, I honestly believe the best conversations I'm having today um, come when I um, share my ideas publicly. So I might post something on LinkedIn and then get someone to respond. And then I just have a one-off meeting with that person and say, talk to me about your ideas. Like, what are you doing there? So there are, there are cohorts and groups of people that are meeting, talking about these things that aren't, um, uh, I guess, all planned out by some vendor who's trying to sell something to me. Um, there are some conferences that I feel are truly for the employer, for the brokers, you know, for the vendors that, that allow them to create a space where they can have real conversations about sort of their desires and really start solutioning on, on how they're going to solve for that. Um, I, I think that if you get yourself in front of as many people that are like-minded in terms of wanting to learn more, to grow more, to be open to new ideas and experiences, that will be good for you. I also think that you need to partner with the right kind of vendors. Like I, I want a like-minded vendor who's like, here's what I do today, but that doesn't mean that's what I'm going to do tomorrow. I, my product uh, roadmap is wide open. It's not set in stone for the next five years. And I'm going to, you know, roll with the punches and, and figure out what the world needs and, and help provide that. I also think that you need to be talking to startups in the, in the people technology space. Like for me, spending time, with companies um, that are just getting their legs up, right? Like that are trying to solve for one problem and then discover that it's a bigger problem and that they want to keep doing more and more in that space. And it's all sort of uh, the foundation of all of that is technology. I think that like get yourself involved in that and, and figure out maybe what it is that you can do to help them be successful because their success will be your success eventually. So this has been just an absolutely fascinating conversation. And uh, as somebody who works in product development in group benefits, I've been scribbling notes like crazy around all the kind of solutions I, I could try, aspire to deliver to, to you guys because it it's just really great to to understand all the all the great things you're doing. As we move towards wrapping up, I, I do want to invite Harry to to add any thoughts he might have, any big aha moments, or perhaps even a final question for our guests. Yeah, thanks, Todd. And um, I, I think I will go down the path of one final question for our guests, and that is a two-parter. Um, the first one is, having gone through this conversation, uh, what advice would you give your peers at uh, other companies about what employees are expecting from them um, and, and really winning this war on talent? And the second one, second part is, um, for those companies that support you in doing that, uh, and that, you know, the vendors that come up a few times, what do you need from those that support you? What's the most important thing from your perspective? I think for me, um, 
my peers should be listening to their employees. Find ways to create safe spaces where people can talk about how they're really feeling. Do your glint surveys or your pulse surveys. Figure out what people are thinking about, what they want, um, what scares them, and and really listen and absorb that before making any other big decisions, um, like a return to work policy. Right? You, even if you couldn't do everything your employees wanted know that what you're doing is going to make 80% of your population really upset. Um, and so I think the listening, do, do more listening and really um, take that to heart as you make plans for the future. I think from a vendor perspective, I, I need my vendors to also be um, uh, adaptable, right? Like, so those few companies that did such a great job between like March and July shifting to digital, like those are the kind of companies I love working with. Like the fact that they were able to figure that out and get there and deliver their services the way that they needed to, uh, it's amazing, right? The, they have to understand that the future isn't set in stone, that even if we say, oh, the future is digital, it might be, you know, something else completely. It, it might be, um, you know, this metaverse, right? Like, how are they going to be ready for that? I, I want a company that's innovating, that can, you know, I want to say turn on a dime, but maybe not a dime, a quarter, <laughs> um, and and figure out how to be ready for whatever's next, right? And, and it could be in how they deliver their service, but it could be in the service they're offering as well, right? I'm constantly telling the vendors I love working with, well, you know what? I wish that you also did this in this space because I've just not given someone else my money to solve that problem for me. I want you to be my go-to for this thing. And I think the vendors that are hearing that and actually listening and, and developing better services and products are the ones that I'm going to be working with five to 10 years from now. And I agree with the employees listening to the employees and you just can't stop. If, if the last two years have taught us anything, we don't know what's coming. <laughs> and uh, if you listen to employees, they'll start to tell you as things are changing, you'll start to pick that up. Um, so I do think we need to ask our employees if we want to understand you know, what's important to them and what they're looking for. Uh, in terms of the, your second question, you know, I think it's really important that after you decide to go with a vendor, you take the time to meet with them and onboard them and orient them to who you are. Um, I spent uh, earlier this week uh, with a vendor out West and the whole purpose of that meeting was for me to describe to them our culture. And when you're looking at that plan document, yes, that is the plan document, but I need you to understand who we are. These are our family members. We consider them our family members. Do not think I'm that company that just wants to save every dime. If you can find a way in this plan document to support that team member, that is what I want you to do. And I had to explain to them who we are and I had to show them who we are. And I feel like leaving there, they're better equipped to support us now. And that was really in the grand scheme of things, not that significant of an investment on my part. But I think we have to not just hire and bring on the vendors, but as Ellen said, you know, build that relationship and, and give them ideas and ask them for things, but also tell them this is who we are. Do you get it? Okay, now you can really be our vendor and really support us. I'm a good partner. Well, that's fantastic. Thanks, everyone, so much for being a part of this really great conversation. I want to thank my co-hosts, but I especially want to thank our guests. Uh, Kelly and Ellen, you guys both had such great insights. I, I think it's inspiring to hear just how dedicated you are to your employees and how focused you are on ensuring that they are in happy, safe, fulfilling environments. I, I think it's just wonderful to hear. And, you know, as we think about the future of work, I think it's going to be companies like yours that are, you know, 
driving us towards the future. So uh, it has just been an absolute pleasure to have you on. And thank you so much for, for being here today. So, so absolutely. So as we move to wrap this up, we hope that everybody has enjoyed the conversation today. Uh, as mentioned previously, this is episode two. Uh, we'll be back shortly with episode three, where we're going to explore the employee perspective on all of these issues. Um, in the meantime, I want to thank everyone so much for joining us. And we really appreciate you being a part of the Working Forward podcast. Thanks so much. You're listening to Working Forward, Future of Work podcast series. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Symmetra Life Insurance Company or its affiliates. The host is not affiliated with Symmetra Life Insurance Company and or any of its affiliates and is solely responsible for the content.